it's not often that you get to build something that is relevant for every company and Zoomin is relevant for every company that you know. Once you have it, you don't think about selling, you just build thinking about how to build the biggest company in the world, a company of thousands of customers and thousands of employees. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Gal Aron, co-founder and CEO of ZoomIn, a SaaS technology company that allows clients to modernize their content to deliver a personalized, dynamic digital experience across a documentation portal, community cloud, support sites, or directly within web apps as a help widget. Bringing an extensive background in entrepreneurship, Gall co-founded ZoomIn in 2016 with Joe Gelb and Hanan Saltzman. Prior to ZoomIn, Gall gathered over a decade of experience in the investment and SaaS sectors, serving as a partner at Trigger Partners, an investment firm focused on the healthcare sector, and an M&A specialist at Verant. Prior to Verant, he worked for Orsis, which was acquired by Nice Systems for nearly a decade and rose from a software engineer to president. A former fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force, Gal holds a BA in economics and computer science from Tel Aviv University. Gal, welcome. Hello. Hi, Carol. Good seeing you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being with me. So, you know, we, I talked a little bit about um, in introducing you, your background. Tell me about your journey from past to present. You were, I know you were in the, uh, in the Air Force, the Israeli Air Force for about a decade. How you, you know, moved from that along your career to have you having founded uh, ZoomIn? Yeah. So, yeah, so I spent some time in, in the Air Force and then went to do my studies and I, that was when the dot-com bubble, basically, in 2000. For me, it's all about learning. So I knew I'm, I need to basically get mm -hmm. to the tech world, but from starting from the bottom mm -hmm. and starting from scratch. And I actually started doing QA. I mean, I was a QA engineer for a few years and then went into pre-sales. And the, till today, I think that my experience as a QA engineer uh, brings a lot of what I know today, start there mm -hmm. and, and, and doing QA, understanding engineering, understanding products, understanding processes. So I grew in that company from doing QA to eventually becoming the president of the company, <laughs> mostly through technical customer facing roles, product marketing, uh, marketing, product operations, and eventually doing a lot of sales. Mm -hmm. So that was in, uh, in, uh, in one company and in Orsus. Mm -hmm. uh, Orsus was acquired by Nice. Right. Uh, I, I kept working at, uh, at Nice, then did some of my own investments. And then um, around 2015, Hanan, uh, who is one of my partners mm -hmm. today, and myself, we're, we worked together at Orsus and we started thinking about our next company. Mm. Uh, we knew that the next company is going to be somewhere around overload of information. We didn't know if it's going to be overload of content, overload of knowledge, data, 
but something around the space of overload of information. And then we met our third partner. His name is Joe Gelb, right. a guy who grew up here in New Jersey and then moved to Israel. Mm-hmm. Considered to be one of the um, world-known people for technical content, not content writing, but mm-hmm. more of a dealing with content formats, uh, migrations of different content and content pieces, integration between content tools. Uh, and he was actually the one coming up with an idea that it took me a few months to, to, to get this, what I'm going to try to mm-hmm. simplify for you now in, in two <laughs> <Good>. sentences. <laughs> the, the companies have great products. Around this product, they create a lot of content so right. Carol can know how to use the, the products with the greatest potential. Right. And on the other side, there is a Carol that all she wants is information that she can move on with her life, but the experience is just not there. And then she goes home in the evening, she watches Netflix, she buys in Amazon, she's ordering an Uber. And this experience gap is so big between Carol being a consumer and Carol at work. And this is the gap that we're trying to bridge, to try to get you in your work the same experience that you're getting at home, watching Netflix or buying in Amazon, dealing and work with technical content. That's, that's in general the idea we came up with how to take this simple thing, take technical content that every company has, mm-hmm. and to bring uh, Carol's stellar end user experience around how she, how she gets it and how she consumes it. Mm-hmm. Because we understand that once Carol is happy, and let's assume Carol is a prospect or a customer mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. McAfee, mm-hmm. for example, one of our customers, that's going to help McAfee improve KPIs in three main areas. One is around experience, NPS, customer effort score, customer satisfaction score. Right. Second area of, of, of value is around support, number of support tickets, case deflection, support costs. Mm-hmm. And the third one is actually around revenue, driving business. More and more companies realize today that technical content is a key source for driving more sales, upsells, cross-sales, and mm-hmm. reducing churn. So driving business is also a key, a key factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell in love with this idea uh, for a few reasons. One, because it's very boring. You know, <laughs> technical content, not exactly the sexiest thing in yeah, life. Yeah, right. <laughs> but for me, <laughs> for me, manuals, guides, training materials, knowledge articles, yes, that's our world. Yeah. For me, boring is the new sexy. It, uh, yeah. uh, boring stuff is, means usually less innovation and more room to bring innovation, less competition, mm. which for me is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that it's, if you think of, every company has it. Do you know any company that doesn't have technical content, that doesn't have a support site, doesn't have a documentation portal? Mm-hmm. So the TAM, the total addressable market is huge. It's basically, it's applicable for every company that we know. And uh, last, uh, I felt like this is something I read a lot of business books, and we can pretty much do it by the book. We can build an MVP and try to see if someone needs this. And if, if no one needs this, we'll try to look for something else. Mm-hmm. So we, we did pretty much this. And we, we developed this MVP and started selling. Right. So, so that's really interesting. What, what I am curious about, Gal, is did you come in saying, boy, this is something that really is a problem for people? Because that's what I feel like I'm hearing and said, this has to be solved. I mean, inf- you know, as you say, it's overload of info, right? So is what you're doing, putting it in a, putting it in a, in a format where it doesn't make my brain smoke. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> today, in today's world, people 
don't have patience and people don't want right. to speak to anyone. When you're at <laughs> home and you have a problem with something, with your iPhone, with anything, you don't want to talk to anyone. You want to self-serve. You want to, same thing at work. People don't want to talk to anyone. People want to self-serve. We're trying to simplify it, to simplify it for them, to make it easier for them to self-serve, to find problem, to a solution to their problems. Mm -hmm. That's what we're, yeah, that's what we're trying to do. And when we started, we thought that there is a pain here. We, it seemed to be very obvious, you know, and it's very authentic pain, by the way. It's, even my parents understand what we do. It's not, it's not that complicated. And we were mm -hmm. talking before about deep cyber companies or this is a very authentic pain. As I said, that every, every company has it and everyone understands this. So it, it made sense to us that, yeah, there is a pain here that needs to be solved. Mm -hmm. uh, and really very, very quickly, we thought that that's the case. In the first year alone, we had customers like um, McAfee, ServiceNow, Dell EMC, mm -hmm. uh, big companies all mm -hmm. in the first year. And it was very, very obvious. And I think this is the number one, the, the number one thing in startup companies that product market fit mm -hmm. is 100% there. Exactly. And there is a, a, big, a big pain here and mm -hmm. someone needs to solve this pain. And uh, that's what we started doing. Mm -hmm. So you are in Series C. You've taken, what, about $73 million in uh, institutional investment. Yeah. yeah. What has investors yeah. excited about ZoomIn? Um, it, it, it's a few things. Um, first of all, it's about the, the, the culture of the company. Mm. It, uh, it's a company that was built... Um, this product market fit that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, a lot because of it, we started bootstrapping. In the first two years, we were bootstrapping. Mm -hmm. When you bootstrap, um, <clears throat> bootstrapping is amazing. I mean, <laughs> all my gray hair is from bootstrapping, yeah, but bootstrapping is. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because yeah. product market fit is 100% there. You yeah. cannot get to dozens of customers, 100% right. renewal without great product market fit. And second, it says that your execution is great. Mm -hmm. You know that any distraction, you're going to die. I think that uh, investors really appreciate this product market fit and this great mm -hmm. execution skills. Second, uh, the, the big investors that we have, I mean, we have, I'm proud to say, some of the mm -hmm. top investors in the world between Bessemer and yep. General Atlantic and Salesforce and, and, and Viola. Right. They look for category builders. And, and we're creating something that was never there before. I mean, we're mm -hmm. basically creating a new category um, with a huge TAM, which is also very, very important. Um, and these are, the, these are the main things. Uh, add to this, and I think it relates to what I said about culture, is the style of the company. We're a very, very authentic company, mm -hmm. a very vulnerable company that talks about the issues and share our problems with everyone. Mm -hmm. We feel like we believe that if we share your problems, it, it becomes their problem as well, and they're also going to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. So it's, everyone knows everything, everything is transparent and it's, and uh, you know, as an entrepreneur in the company, it's a lot of highs, but a lot of downs. And um, we're not afraid to talk about those low points that we have. We have them. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's always going to be the case with founding companies. So did you all found the company, co-found the company in Israel? Yeah. We found so, it in Israel. so what, so tell me what was the impetus behind moving your headquarters to New York? Yeah. So I don't know how many Israeli, I know that you have some experience with Israeli companies, mm -hmm. but Israel, we have great, great technology, right? great entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. uh, we're very, very good at this. Right. Um, but the market is not there. 
I mean, uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. Israel is a very small country. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we cannot sell to a lot of our neighbors. So the, the immediate markets are Europe and, and, and mostly the US. This mm -hmm. is the first, the, the first market. So in day one, we never even tried to sell in Israel. In the first few years, we haven't even tried to sell to any of the mm -hmm. Israeli companies. Also, the three of us, uh, Joe grew up in the US, but a lot of us right. spent a lot of time in the US. It was very clear for us that the US is going to be the first market. And initially, we started we start selling from Israel to the US market. Yeah. Um, so our first uh, 20 or 30 customers were all American companies. Right. It was, uh, it was very clear. And I believe that this is where big companies are happening in the US. Mm -hmm. And especially in an enterprise company like ours, it's clear that you need to be close to your customers. Mm -hmm. You need to support them very well. You need to learn from them. You need to be there. And um, after about two and a half years or three years, we, I decided that uh, we're going to build the headquarters of the company here in the US, in, 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 in New York. I mean, there was mm -hmm. a question between New York and Silicon Valley. We right. can talk about this. Mm -hmm. But we decided to do it in New York. To be honest, I think it's where about at least a, a one year late in doing this. I think we, could, we should have done it earlier. Mm, interesting. Um, but uh, definitely, that, I think that's a, gay uh, that's, a that's the right structure. The Israeli and American cultures are also very, very synergetic, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Israel, very, very good product, very good technology, very, very good in crisis management. Americans, very, very good in scale, discipline. It, it's very, very synergetic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we, we love this combination of how we build this company. Mm -hmm. um, why do you think it was a year too late that you moved your headquarters? Because um, it is very important to be next to your customers. I mean, okay. next to your customers, mm -hmm. building the sales organization, building the entire go-to-market organization. It's very hard to hire great people when you're remote. Correct. And then, so it basically delayed our us building our go-to-market mm -hmm. organization. At, at scale in about a year. Mm -hmm. This whole thing, the whole go-to-market organization was built, uh, we started building basically when I moved here. Mm -hmm. And which was, so, um, we, we had we had things before, but not at the scale that we wanted. Right. So so how many employees did you have when you relocated here to the States? Uh, about 25, 30, something okay. like this. And that was, and you've been here now for two years, is that correct? Since yeah. 2019? So... 20-ish employees to 125 in two years? We're about, we're more than 150 employees right now. Oh my goodness. And it grew very, very fast. And even during COVID and this year, we're growing very, very fast. We, we just had, um, just looked at our numbers. We have 70% of our employees who joined this year and uh, to the company. Which creates, uh, it's amazing because yeah. we brought some great leadership, mm -hmm. but it does bring some challenges, you know, right. it's, it's, it's a lot of new people don't really know one another. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. It forces us in a good way to double clicking and to deep diving into learning mm -hmm. and development. We built a very, very strong right. learning and development organization, mm -hmm. probably the strongest in Israel. Mm -hmm. And um, but yeah, it, it is this hyper growth is amazing, but it comes with quite a few challenges. Right. So yeah, I want to dig into that a little bit more. I mean, growing by seventy, you know, that that much with that many employees just in a year uh, presents its own challenges that I could speculate on. But I'd rather have you tell me what you believe your challenges were. <laughs> 
And growing that fast? And growing that fast and, and, and hiring and how you got them hired and the mistakes that you made and why you made those mistakes and, and what you've changed. Yeah. You know, turnover, those types of things, which is very common when you have hyper growth. I mean, it, and you may not have the yeah. turnover now, but you may have it down the road and you won't, don't necessarily see that until a little bit further down the road. Yeah. So I, I want to start by telling how we built this company. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we, we, we put a lot of emphasis into culture. Yeah. And our culture is built on uh, three main fundamentals. I mean, we decided on them, but it, it, we, we didn't really need to decide. It, it, that's what we are. Okay. The company was built on the first fundamental is uh, humility. I mean, we're a very humble company. I mean, we're not shy to say that we're the best in the world at what we do. And, and our goals are very mm -hmm. clear. Mm -hmm. And we're very, very confident we're going to get there. Right. For us, uh, humility is about listening. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's almost about living under the assumption that in any case, you don't know. And, uh, and there is no right way of doing things. There's our way of doing things. And we need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And figuring out is going to come from listening a lot, asking a lot of questions. Right. Uh, usually, it comes along with people who are more confident. Because people who are a little bit less confident, they speak with, they speak with explanation marks and they know everything. <laughs> we speak with a lot of question marks. Uh, I love that. So uh, that's the first thing. It, it's a, it's mm -hmm. a very nice thing to have as, as individuals, but in my opinion, it's crucial. As a company, you can speak to all the advisors and consultants in the world. You need to figure out eventually. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if the most junior employee in the company or the CEO, you don't know. Right. You don't know and you need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's the first fundamental. The second one is about purpose and work ethic. Mm -hmm. it's a, I think hypergrowth is an unbelievable journey. And I, I like to use the analogy of the last dance of, the, of Jordan, that it, it was a crazy journey to be with Jordan, but everyone was there won six championships. Mm -hmm. I think hypergrowth is very much like that. I think it's amazing in terms of the impact that you create. It's just not for everyone. Right. It's, I don't think it's for everyone. It's for those who want to make the impact, those mm -hmm. who enjoy getting the context and not being micromanaged. Right. Uh, so that's the second fundamental. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, work ethic and purpose. Mm -hmm. And the third one is customer obsession. <laughs> We're companies that was built with customers. We have more than 10 of our customers who are working for us today in different roles in the company. Wow. And we fight very, very hard to keep the trust with our customers mm -hmm. because we feel they know better than us where we need to go. So uh, these are the three areas that how this mm -hmm. company was built. Mm -hmm. uh, now, culture for us is... Um, I would put it in a way, for me, culture is the lowest bar of behavior that you're tolerant to. It's, that's that's, that's mm. what culture is about. Because if, if, um, if, 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 I, if the CEO is late for meetings, you know, everyone is allowed to be late for meetings. If, 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 uh, if, if the VP of sales is not preparing for sales calls, you're not, allowed, you're not supposed to prepare for sales calls. That's, and then our role is as, 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 as leaders, but anyone in the company, is to deal with that bar. And mm -hmm. to deal with that bar in a very cold way is by who you hire, who you fire, and who you promote. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that it sounds very cold, mm -hmm. but, but, but by, I think that's, that's a lot how you control that bar. And we started by how we're hiring. And we are hiring based on five parameters mm -hmm. in that order of importance. The first one we look for is intelligence. Yep. Uh, we feel like uh, intelligent people <laughs> live well with the context. Yeah. They want the context. Mm -hmm. They don't want more than this. Um, so that's the first thing we look for. Mm -hmm. 
The second one is around drive and passion. Yeah. People who came here to win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also, the, also the, the other side of it, those who are the opposite of it, it's the people that you see them in the morning and you basically want to die from sadness. It's a, it's, these are people, they're, they're right. You know, these are people, they're right because there are so many things that are not working in a company, but it's up to us to decide whether we see it as an opportunity to make an impact or to see it as a, as a, as a downer, mm-hmm. I would say. That's the second thing. Mm-hmm. The third thing is about uh, integrity. Mm-hmm. And not always easy to see it in job interviews, but very easy to see it once you start working with someone. Right. And in my opinion, one of the biggest motivation killers. Uh, the, the fourth one is about work ethic. Mm-hmm. And the last one is about skills. So we kind of reversed the order. Mm-hmm. We built the company around people who has those four areas that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Intelligent, drive, Integrity, integrity and work ethic. Mm-hmm. Some of them had a lot of experience and some of them had zero experience. Interesting. And, yeah. and that's how we built the company and it created an amazing company. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year ago, I felt like we've gone a little bit too far with this and we're missing some experience mm-hmm. and, and, and we're missing some people who, who have already fallen to the holes that we're about to fall into. Yeah. Uh, and this past year we added dozens of leaders from VPs to directors to mm. all of them from hyper growth companies, all of them came to teach us rather than to learn or mm-hmm. also to learn, but came to teach us. Mm-hmm. And um, you're asking about challenges in, in building hyper growth. That, that was a big milestone for us, uh, bringing that experience and understanding that it's all about time to value, mm-hmm. time to value to our customers, mm-hmm. but also time to value in the company. Mm-hmm. And we're looking for people who the time to value is going to be faster. Mm-hmm. To me, it was one of the biggest lessons in, in how to build the, the company. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you talk about the five keys, a couple I want to I want to dive into a little bit more. One is how you define integrity. I know how I define it. How do you define it? It's a, it's a very good question because it's very hard to define it. Uh, I can tell you that integrity has nothing to do with you being an employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, 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 a, of an organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, integrity is about how you, how you look at your family, how you, how you look at your friends, mm-hmm. how you look at your, your colleagues, the things that you've done as a child, uh, the, the things that are important for you in life, mm-hmm. um, how you make decisions, mm-hmm. how you make decisions in life, uh, your priorities in life. It's, uh, it's not data science. I mean, it, it's not, right. it, it's not, uh, but it's something that um, if you ask yourself after uh, you, you talk to someone for about an hour, does this person, do I believe in this person in integrity? In most cases, you'll be able to provide yourself a pretty good answer uh, about that person. But you also need to build the discussion and the interview around right. questions. That That's right. I, that will, example, that will, yeah, people, that will identify that. Sure. Uh, I ask people, what's, what's your first job? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's the first time that you... You worked. I mean, it's you know all kind of things that tell me what did you do as a child. I mean, I, did you play sports? Did you do what? What mm-hmm. did you do as, as a? People mention their parents, their their brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. their friends, mm-hmm. their kids if they have. To me, these are important things to 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 see you uh, to they tell me a lot about that person. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I, I look at integrity probably a little bit more simply, but 
I think in the scheme of things, it's a larger, it's a larger issue is that I look at integrity as somebody's word, right? Their word, yeah, their word is who they, you know, is who they say that, you know, they say they're going to be, you know, a certain place at a certain time they're there, right? They don't call you at the last minute. Oh, sorry. You know, I can't, I can't make it after all or whatever that might be. And I know this is sort of a simple way to look at it, but when you look at the bigger picture of it, at how someone lives their life, right? You know, what was your first job? Or, you know, why did you move from this job to that job? How they answer that question. And, you know, do they sit around and make excuses or are they accountable for, for those things, right? Here's the mistake I made yeah. that I would have done differently had I known better, right? Yeah. Those things are all I about integrity for me, right? Um, yeah. The other thing I, I want to talk about is you say, you know, the fifth thing, which you've got people with lots of skills and people with not a lot of skills to your, to your, yeah. you know, your specific needs. And, you know, I've said this many, many times that over half of employees leave a job in the first about 18 months for reasons having nothing to do with their skills and abilities. So what's yeah. left? <laughs> It's the culture. It's all the other things, right? It's, 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 you know, their intelligence, their drive, their, you know, are, are they really there because they're passionate about making a difference, right? Um, do they have that integrity? Do they have the work ethic? I mean, if they're passionate, they should have the work ethic, but you can't really assume that, can you? Right. right. You know, it's, it's looking at whether somebody wants to be successful or has a commitment to be successful because those are distinctly different things. Right. Want is, you know, I want, I want X, Y, Z, but the commitment is, am I going to put structures in place to keep going and going and going in the face of no, it didn't work. I lost a deal. <laughs> I just broke up with my boyfriend, yeah. whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it relates to, I'm sorry for, I think no, no, it's, go ahead. Um, yeah. you, you can only, you can only allow yourself to bring people with very limited experience yeah. if they have the other things. Right. Because you expect those people to one realize the experience gaps, mm -hmm. which self awareness is one of the things that they, I still haven't found a way to mentor people around self awareness. Mm -hmm. Self awareness is a big. So one, you need them to realize this uh, professional gap. Mm -hmm. Second, you need them to have the tools to close the gap, and and third, as you mentioned, you need to have them have the will to to close right. this uh, professional gap. Right. I, I think that where we need to be cautious in bringing people who are inexperienced but very very skilled or very very qualified eventually people need to learn from someone i mean you can let everyone figure out everything themselves but mm. it's, people need to learn from someone yeah. and i feel yeah. now there is the thing that people join a company and leave it leave a manager i i, mm -hmm. I believe in this i, yeah. I think that the, we, people <laughs> eventually want to learn from they come want right. to come for work and see someone That's they right. admire and, and it's um that's something that I think we should be cautious of when, yeah. if you bring someone inexperienced, make sure they have someone to they learn need, from. They need a mentor, a good mentor, a good leader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no yeah. question about that. You know, and to your point about, I mean, this is something that we're talking about. I've, I've got a book coming out in January um, that we talk about. People don't leave companies, they leave managers. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so if you as the, as the, the CEO of the company have a commitment to that not happening, you know, then you look at investing in your leadership and how do you go about doing that to make them better leaders, right? Um, yeah. Because people just, they, you know, they just, you know, and we talked about this and, and maybe this is an interesting time to bring this up. The difference in how people, <laughs> how, do, how do I want to put this? 
um, Israelis can be challenging to work with. Okay. And <laughs> as Americans, we, you know, we haven't grown up in, you know, a battleground like you have. Right. So I'm curious because I, as I shared with you earlier, I have found the Israelis I've worked with to be some of the warmest, really the warmest, warmest people I've ever met, really. Um, and it's just, we live in such a, a world of hearing a tone of voice and immediately making up a story around that rather than looking at the facts of people do things differently. And if we're going to work in a global society, we all have to learn to figure out how to, how to work together effectively. So I'm curious if, you know, the types of changes or alterations you all have had to make or teaching people, you know, this, just because I, I am firm about something, you know, doesn't mean I'm angry or upset or, you know, whatever. Yeah. So first, I completely agree with you. I think there is some, there are some cultural gaps. Mm -hmm. uh, I must admit on myself because I, I grew up in Israel, but I lived quite a few times here with my family. Mm -hmm. And then I lived here for about seven years before. I I think I, I have a very good understanding of the American mm -hmm. culture. Um, but, but the gaps, the cultural back gaps exist. And I can talk about uh, some of them. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the biggest thing is that Israelis are, um, are, are like brutally honest. Yeah. Israelis are, they don't know how to beautify things, <laughs> especially in English. They're... The vocabulary of Israel is are is, is missing. Mm -hmm. So the language is very simple. Yeah. So for, for good and bad, you, you're gonna end the conversation with an Israeli guy, or you're gonna know what happened in, in the meeting. <laughs> for good and bad, it's gonna be very clear. Yeah. So a, a lot of people, I must say, that I people that work here, the people that I know, actually say that it makes life much easier because yeah. you understand what everything that's mm -hmm. happening here. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, by the way, even within the U.S. It's very different. New Yorkers are like Israelis. You know, it's, it's also yes. very, it's very exactly. direct and everything yep. is very yep. simple yep. and clear here in New York. Mm -hmm. I think in the West Coast, it might be a little bit different, but overall, there is so many, you know, 10% of the companies went IPO or is, there are some Israelis like all over the place. So I feel like, <laughs> I don't know of any, many people who doesn't, who, do, who don't know Israelis or haven't worked with Israelis. I think it's almost like became a second nature to a lot of the high-tech world here mm -hmm. to work with Israelis. Mm -hmm. But I think us as Israelis, and I'm guiding a lot of the Israelis, who, who, which is everyone who work mm -hmm. with Americans and the Americans who work on, on some of the nuances and uh, the cultural nuances. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a, smi a very small ex example of, I come here every morning, I say good morning to everyone. I say good afternoon or good evening to everyone when I leave. I find it not everyone comes tell me good afternoon and right. good morning, but a lot of it is because people don't want to bother me while I'm talking to someone. Yeah. While I'm talking, I'm having a Zoom conversation or something. The initial thing, why aren't they telling me good night or good morning? But it's just a little bit of a different culture. They don't mm -hmm. want to bother me when mm -hmm. I'm in my room and talking to someone. Mm -hmm. and, and there's so many little examples like this. I think the key is to, and you're talking about leadership, uh, the key is, is to create the right trust yeah. in, in a company and specifically in the leadership organization. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I, I truly, be, I believe a lot in this book called uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're I've aware of, of the yep. team. Mm -hmm. that, that talks about the pyramid of what makes a, a functioning team. Mm -hmm. And the base of the pyramid 
is trust. Yeah. And trust means that, um, as you said before, you trust me that if I said something, I'm actually going to do it. Right. But the other thing is that you also trust my intentions. And this is, the, this is to me, is the big thing. Mm. And, and the intentions, because the dynamics usually going to make you think that my intentions are bad if there is no trust. Mm -hmm. If there is trust, you know, God is a good guy. Even if he had a bad day, he, he didn't do I trust his I trust his intentions. He's not a lazy guy. He's not a bad guy. Mm -hmm. He probably. Um, by the way, that's one of the biggest things that was impacted, in my opinion, in, during COVID. We we haven't seen one another, and it was very it, it was very hard to build a trust. Yeah. Because trust is built a lot about mm -hmm. just meet, breaking bread, seeing one another. Yep. No? Yep. Yeah, meeting one another. We're giving a lot of emphasis into trust building, yeah. and uh, which means that. Uh, we said travel expenses after salaries. N number two, you can travel, see anyone in the company as much as you want. No. Uh, a lot of emphasis on, on trust building. Right. And we're measuring this. We're mm -hmm. doing surveys. We're measuring trust. And because to me, this is the base of the pyramid. With no trust, mm -hmm. there is nothing else. I, I mean, you cannot build mm -hmm. on anything without a strong basis of trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really fantastic. What's the, let me ask you this. I mean, do you have any competitors? What's, what's that look like? Or are you literally, you know, are you the, are you the iPhone of your industry? Like nobody, that nobody <laughs> was, it was living in a blind spot before. Yeah. So it's interesting. Whenever you build a category, a new category, um, you have some competition mm -hmm. and we do have some competition, but we're not good. Head to head competition. We're doing very, very good. well. The, big, the biggest competition that usually you have when you build a category is the alternative of either use of what you are, use what you already have or not do anything. And we're sitting in the midst of, of, of an ecosystem that includes uh, companies like uh, Salesforce, ServiceNow, <laughs> uh, Pendo, WalkMe, Zendesk, right. Confluent, you know, big, big companies. Mm -hmm. And we're actually not replacing any one of them. Our job is to show that we're not replacing your Salesforce implementation. ServiceNow, WalkMe, Pendo. Right. We're actually enhancing the value of your Salesforce mm -hmm. and ServiceNow implementations. Um, but we need to make sure we, we show it by real value, by real measurable mm -hmm. value. By the way, that's one of the reasons that Salesforce invested with right. us because they see the value sure. we bring to the to the Salesforce ecosystem. Mm -hmm. so, so, so that's the challenge when you build a category. You need to educate the market about the value of this mm -hmm. new category. Mm -hmm. And why the hell do I need you? Because everything was working before you came here. Right. And now you're telling me that I need you. Yeah. And um, so, so that's the bigger challenge of the competitive landscape. And luckily for us, we're, we're, um, we're solving a very, very complicated problem mm -hmm. that companies don't really have the will to develop anything on their own. They just don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. they, it's not their business. Yeah. And, and they understand that it's just going to cost them a lot more money. Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 so the build yourself, we don't see it that much, to be honest. Mm -hmm. it, it says something very mature about about technology companies that that realize that they need to focus on their business and not on putting their engineers on stuff that is not the core of their business. Right. Well, and you you just said something really interesting, Gal, about um, you know they don't want to build it themselves, which leads me to ask you the question. Have you thought about your, you know, and if you don't want to answer this, I understand. <laughs> Have you thought about what your exit strategy may be? I mean, you know, I've, I've interviewed many founders and typically, not always, you know, if, if you tend to be the leader in a market, 
you will tend to IPO and, and if that's not the case, you would tend to sell, but that's, again, that's not a, it's not a one-to-one, right? Have you given that some thought and you know, do, do you think about that at all? <laughs> You're going to be surprised, but yes, <laughs> I did think about this. Yeah, but no, the, the answer is what, the answer is what I'm wondering if you'll share or not. So, yeah. <laughs> it's not often that you get to build something that is relevant for every company. Right. And zooming is relevant for every company. That yeah. you know. Once you have it, and, and the learning curve is like this every day. Yeah. You, you don't think about selling. You just build thinking about how yeah. to build the biggest company right. in the world. That's awesome. And, and of a company of thousands of customers mm-hmm. and thousands of employees. And you don't want this to ever end. Right. Financially, I think it's probably going to go to IPO yeah. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, but you know, category-wise. omniscient. We don't really know that. But if that's kind of the direction you're going, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I'm thinking about it now. Yeah. How do you how do you market? I mean, inbound, outbound. Where do you find your prospects? Yeah. So we have a strong go-to-market organization. Uh, a lot of the we have a good marketing organization mm-hmm. and a good uh, business development organization. Mm-hmm. So uh, does both outbound and inbound. Mm-hmm. Very very smart people mm-hmm. that uh, yeah, and most of the demand is coming from yeah both outbound and inbound. Okay. Yeah. What's your, do you have a sweet spot, Gal, as far as, you know, you, you talked about enterprise earlier, the size of a company or the number of seats that you sell and, and, and how do you, how do you sell that? I mean, obviously it's a cloud product. Um, you're paying by seat. Does it need to be, is that how, is that how people are paying you? We need, you know, we need a thousand seats. So that's what we're paying for. Or is it based on the size of a company? So we're selling mostly to medium and large size enterprises. Okay. Also, some of the SMEs, the companies who are uh, more relevant uh, for us are com- our product companies. Companies who have more, even more than one product. Mm-hmm. But as I, uh, but 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 the big trend that we see right now, which really s- support our story and, and increase the TAM a lot, is that every company becomes a tech company today. When you when you become a tech company, you have products and you have content around your products. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about real you know technology companies but one of our customers is one of the um, of the biggest burger company in the world okay I, i'm not allowed to say the name but one of the largest burger company one of the and largest what i'm not catching that that word burger burger oh hamburger company. burger got it hamburger got it yeah. okay yeah. okay so they're a customer not because they sell burgers because they have a lot of franchises mm-hmm. and they, they have Every day they send tons of operating manuals and menus. Right. And the, and who is allowed to see what and mm-hmm. languages. So the exact same pain as a McAfee or a DocuSign or each of our other. Right. So every company becomes a tech company. And and, and the time is just enormous uh, in, in, in what we do. But the focus, as I said, is on enterprises and mid-sizes. We see a lot of the hyper-growth SaaS companies mm-hmm. were maybe a little bit smaller in terms of the number of employees. But these are companies who understand that it's all about experience. We used to fight over features and pricing, and now it's about the heart of Carol. And the heart of Carol is we're going to get it through great experience. Mm-hmm. So all, a lot of the fastest growing SaaS companies, they understand it, it's there, and they're looking for another area to improve that has a big impact on their customers' experience. And they just feel this technical content, this is a big blind spot mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know, but... Technical content on average takes 70% of the traffic of almost every company that you know. Wow. Initially, it's shocking, but when you think about it, it's not. 
because support and onboarding, it's all technical. But even when you buy a McAfee, a DocuSign, mm-hmm. it's, it's all technical. Right. Okay? You don't care about, sorry for the, that, about marketing fluff. It's all very, very technical. So companies realize that there were really blind spot to 70% of what's happening with their customers. And that's what we're providing. Mm. Uh, and, and the ROI on something like this is just enormous. Really? It, it, it's big. So uh, even smaller companies are, are, are willing to, to go with those enterprise solutions. Yeah. And in terms of geography, we're now working North America, EMEA, mm-hmm. and we're starting our operations in uh, APEC. Wonderful. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes you have made as a first-time CEO? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I, I think that uh, I made a lot of mistakes. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. W- one, of the big, one of the mistakes uh, is, is what I mentioned before, is uh, overextending and giving too much uh, credit to for too long time to bringing great talent with even with a limited experience mm-hmm. we're missing experience we needed yeah. to add more experience to the company mm-hmm. at earlier stage i also um, needed to raise money and then moving from the bootstrap to becoming like a venture company mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. i think bootstrap is amazing but you, it's very hard to be a market leader yeah you, you're a little bit too slow in the beginning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you and, then, uh, and now when we have an amazing board and you have so much to learn from great board members and great funds and uh, and benchmarking from uh, other companies mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say those are, these are two, two of the mistakes uh, that that i've yeah. done uh, don't get me wrong i don't i think that the um, bootstrapping is um, is amazing be, be, taking too much money which i see now a lot of companies mm-hmm. and now we have Everyone in your whole company away. We have all the money. Yeah, it's uh, taking too much money too early is also very dangerous. Mm -hmm. I think money is a little bit like um, like steroids. I mean, you're going to take too much of it. You can die from this, Mm. and it can hide some of the pains, but not for long. Yeah, and um, so I think I'm very happy with the way we we build this company. I think we should have raised money a little bit earlier. Well, you know, I'm. It's always easy to be a Monday morning quarterback, right? Um, yeah, but, and this is a really, and the reason I, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I frequently talk about bootstrapping versus institutional capital, right? When, when is the right time? Now, like it, looking at your, looking at the path you want to go on, um, can you, can you get from point A to point B in the same period of time that you can, if you take institutional capital, you know, does it take you a year and a half longer to get there? And what does that then cost you? You know, and, and a lot of people, you know, I've, I've known founders. In fact, I, 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 I um, re-interviewed somebody recently. They were bootstrapping and they just, they were pretty adamant that they did not think they were going to take, um, take institutional capital. And then they got acquired, <laughs> you know, yeah. now had they taken institutional capital, it probably wouldn't have happened. And they might've, you know, yeah. built something more long-term, but it made sense for them. And sometimes it can make sense, right? The, the way I see it, I think that to me, the biggest thing when we started this company was product market fit. Yeah. I didn't want to build a company and after two or three years, yeah. realize that there is no yeah, product no market. market fit. Here. Yeah, right. Bootstrap forces you to have product market fit. It's, it's impossible to build a company without product market fit. Mm-hmm. 
because you have no revenue. I mean, if there is no revenue, there is no company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that today you see more companies who get funded and they build a company and, and, and they don't have product market fit. I'm not saying they're not going to find because they have the money mm-hmm. to explore more and more, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, more and more areas for, for product market fit. Right. I'm not, I'm not sure they're, they're shortening the time for right. product market fit. Right. Um, I'm not, I decided to go, we decided to go in a different path mm-hmm. of making sure that we're, uh, we, we didn't want to take money when people wanted to invest with us in day one. Right. We didn't want to take any money before we, we felt like it's, it's time and we know that something big is happening there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, I mean, that's really great. And, and, you know, I think taking venture capital too early or private equity or whatever that might be taking capital too early, you know, you might tend to piss it away a little bit more easily, right? To your, to your point, when you're bootstrapping, you, you got to look at every penny you're spending, you know, is, is this right? You know, do we have product market fit? You know, are, are we, you know, are we doing whatever we need to do to be successful? You know, when you're, when you're working with a lot of somebody else's money, I mean, you still have a responsibility, but I think sometimes people feel a little bit differently about that. You know, I, you know, if we yeah, make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. We've still got, you know, $5 million to work with or whatever. You're, that you're not suffering enough. <laughs> right, right. Suffering yeah, is that's good. Of, yeah, it's a very good point. A bit to get the success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I believe that the, the low points are crucial in order to get to the high yeah, points. I, yeah. I don't think you can get there. Mm-hmm. Well, ask any salesperson in the world if you learn more, if they learn more from their successes or failures, right? What's the answer to that? Yeah. Their failures. So, um, what would you say are the biggest opportunities and threats in your space? The biggest opportunities are are around the first of all the, the once you have the the data that we collect about with all we, we collect a lot of very important data about mm-hmm. user behavior about what companies are creating mm-hmm. and managing in terms of content. Once you have this, there is so many use cases. Right now, our use cases are mo- mostly around customer experience mm-hmm. and customer uh, support and customer success. Mm-hmm. But there are huge use cases for marketing, for pre-sales, for sales, uh, many, mm-hmm. many use cases. Um, and once you're in, it's, there are so many things and so many values, different areas of values you can provide a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, this is also the challenge because in our company, in our case, it's, it's, it's how you focus right now. Mm-hmm. There is so many stuff, so much stuff you can do with what we have. Mm-hmm. And it's about how to focus the company on the right uh, use cases. And th- that's how I see the biggest opportunities. And, uh, and, and also the big challenge for a company like ours is how to focus on the right use cases because there is so much stuff and there is, all, there is only so much a company can grow in a specific, in a certain time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm, we need to see that you're not trying to digest too much yeah. too quickly. Yeah. Where are the majority of your employees? Are, are you strewn about the United States? Or are you primarily in, in the city, in New York City at this time? Um, we have uh, the employees. We have about more than half of them are in Israel and the rest are here in the U.S. And we have in, also an office in London. Okay. In the U.S., about the, it's, we divide about, uh, about half. Half are in the New York area mm-hmm. and half are all yeah. around the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do you spend your time when you're not working? I have kids, so kids take a lot of our time. <laughs> I uh, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I read a lot, and uh, not, not just business. Stuff. I read I read a lot I, whenever, whenever I'm on, I can weekends nights. Mm-hmm. I, I read a lot. Uh, I'm a big fan of sports. 
Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I do a lot of sports and I watch a lot of sports. <laughs> and now I start my ski period and my skiing. Assuming, assuming and, uh, there's snow, right? Assuming there is snow, yeah. yeah. Assuming there is snow. Interesting. You've grown explosively over the last year. You know, what, where do you see investing in growth here over the next year? What areas where of your business? Yeah, what areas of, business, of your business? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're going to keep growing it it's, uh, mm-hmm. even faster than we're unique company. We're actually accelerating our growth, though. Even at that stage, we're accelerating our growth. So mm-hmm. we're going to keep growing in terms of number of customers, mm-hmm. in terms of headcount, in terms of mm-hmm. obviously a revenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that brings the different set of challenges in the next uh, stage of our hyper growth. Got it. So if somebody listening to this um, is thinking, well, this is a really interesting company, I'd like to hear more, maybe I'd like to work for them, what, what would you suggest that person does, should do? I, yeah, I suggest that that person, first of all, reads our, uh, looks, reviews our website okay. and learns about what we do, because I think you need to be, to get excited about what we do, but also about our culture, which is also mentioned there. Right. Um, and then I really recommend that they approach us through through the website okay. or uh, or me directly. Mm-hmm. We are growing. We're looking for great people. Mm-hmm. We never have enough of them, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a very very exciting time. In the I think it's the most exciting time of any of the stage of any company, mm-hmm. where you're in this hyper growth stage where everything is so dynamic that the nature of the company changes every six months. You basically have a different company, mm-hmm. and, the, and and people who want to make an impact. This is the time. This is the time to join a right. company. Right. Um, and your website is zoominsoftware.com. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, zoominsoftware.com. Wonderful. Well, Gal Arone, co-founder and CEO of ZoomIn, uh, thanks so much for your time today. This was really interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. Very, very interesting conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.